So for this episode, I'm sorry, we had a couple technical difficulties. I'm going to try to fill in the gaps where I can. Thank you for bearing with us. And remember, stay spicy. Oh, and of course, this chapter is awesome. Evan's reactions are the best. And that day dawned when Arrakis lay at the hub of the universe with the wheel poised to spin. From Arrakis Awakening by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune with Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader or just listening to the podcast and not actually reading the book, this <laughs> podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And Evan, you, you froze on me. And this is awkward because I'm going to need you to say your name again. Evan, say your name again. Oh, you're going to need me to say my name. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, I'm Evan Diaz. <laughs> and together we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Hopefully, Wi-Fi allowing. Oh, that was so awkward, and then we're this far into the process, and we still haven't fixed any of these issues. Um, yeah. It's it's okay. We're doing our best, and our best is not great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are uh, forty-six chapters in, and that says, I guess, something about um, our diligence. We're gonna say that at least. All right, so. Uh, every episode from the last, you know, couple episodes, uh, we ask you, the tribe, um, what your favorite moment in Dune is. So you can just email us, readingdune at gmail.com, your favorite moment. This week's favorite moment comes from Becky. She says, hi, Evan and Caleb. I'm enjoying your podcast from British, from BC, Canada. Been listening since chapter three or four, and I'm going to try to make the live stream today. So, Becky, if you're here, Hi. 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 We're glad you're here. Um, she says her favorite moment of Dune is sadly the death of Duke Leto. Oh. As the moment approached heavy with the knowledge tooth, I was very surprised we were seeing this moment from Leto's perspective, thinking, how is Frank going to write this moment of death? The internal chaos described how the contents of the room spun with Leto's memories, the crashing and roaring sound, and the description of the mind being an endless bin was very beautiful prose. So mm-hmm. it was nice. And I mean, it is nice that for a lot of that chapter, we could only, we didn't have to look at the Baron. He was just all in the fuzz. Yeah. The fog. Uh, thanks for bringing me joy every week. Stay spicy. You Stay too. Spicy. Yes. All right. So Evan, what happened on last time? Oh man. You didn't think I was going to pull this on you, but I did. No, I didn't. And we skipped last week. So I know. even while I was reading, I was trying to remember like, wait, what happened? What? Um, Gurney's back. We know that much. Gurney's um, back. We do know. But like, but come on, brain. What happened in the last chapter? It wasn't like they were, they were basically like getting ready, right? Like they were getting ready to go to, go to battle, right? Well, yeah, but Paul needed to do something before the battle because Gurney, remember, pulled the knife on Jessica and tried to kill her. And there was this awkward thing. And, and uh, Paul was like, why do everyone want me to kill them for some reason? Especially my friends. Stop this. Um, And, that caused him so much, Paul, so much grief that he, he knew he needed to do something. Hmm. So he walked down 
to where the little worms are kept because he needed to drown one. Yes. Yeah. He made the, uh, the, the thing, he did the thing to, uh, basically be able to destroy all the spice. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. So at first he decided he needed to take the water of life. All right. So Paul's taking the water of life, confirming that he is indeed the Kizwatch Haderach that has been prophesied through the missionary protectiva of the Bene Gesserit that they've been working for for thousands of years and thousands of bloodlines. And mm-hmm. now he was already kind of prescient and seeing different times in the, in the, in the future and what goes next. But now, now he sees now. He sees every moment and possibility where the past converges with the future and everything all goes into one. Yes, the and infinite now. And he saw that, and what he saw was that while waging war in the desert with the Fremen, the guild has Arrakis under embargo. Right. Unwoken saw the guild covered Arrakis with spaceships. No one could land anymore. And every major house had ships above the planet waiting to take the spillage, the pillage of the spoils from the awakening of Arrakis. Yeah. All knows that the guild now scrambling to try to find Paul in time, but they can't find him because he's in the eternal now, trying to avoid them. And now Paul also knows that. Well, the guild knows that Paul can actually destroy the spice and he's put onto the and he's moved out on that that train of thought. He's gonna find a spice blow and put the water of life in there and 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 just start a chain reaction to get rid of all of the spice. Mm-hmm. But he also learned but that there's two very important people that have decided to be on the planet. The Baron Vladimir Harkonnen and the oh. Emperor himself. Uh oh. Now's the time to attack. So the plan is set in place to destroy the spice and move forward. No more waiting. Let's attack. Full frontage attack. And that leads us onto this chapter. Oh, man. What did you think of the quote when it talked about Princess Irulan saying, like, Arrakis, the whole universe was like a wheel and Arrakis is at the hub? I mean... Basically, that shit's about to go down is what Princess Hirolan was telling us. Yeah. Arrakis awakens. So this chapter starts on on the shield wall, looking over Araki, the former home of Paul, Jessica, the Duke Leto, and all their friends. We meet Stilgar and Paul. They're looking at the Emperor's ship. That's now parked right outside the city. Will you look at that thing? Stilgar whispered. Then Paul has his eye to a telescope looking at the Emperor's ship. It was a ship with a single metal hutment, nine stories tall, that reached a thousand meter circle from the base of the ship and formed basically a massive metal tent. And it was a temporary lodging for five legions of Sardaukar, his Imperial Majesty, and his Imperial Majesty the Padishah, Emperor Shaddam the Fourth. So when the Emperor came to Arrakis, he brought everybody. Like no holding back here. The sun was starting to rise, and the sh- the sun shone on one side of the tent, while yellow light shone out. The yellow light here because I was reading somebody on Twitter um, sent me something talking about 
how Frank uses imagery and in the book itself and how the color yellow usually pops up when something bad is about to happen oh. or something monumental is about to happen. So when we think back to other places where there are yellow, the first thing that pops up for me is like the fight with Jameis, right? Yeah. About all the lights go to yellow and you know that Paul is about to step into something that there's no going back from. Right, because the glow globes are like greenish sometimes, right? Right, uh-huh. Interesting. So, so yellow. I just want to like, we just preface that they're about to do something that they can't come back from. Right. That little detail would have been really cool to know at the beginning of the book. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry for that. That was good. We'll just go back and say, all right, guys, this is us in the future telling you that watch out for yellow glow globes. Something bad's about to happen when you see yellow. So Stilgar gets antsy, right? He, the sun, the Fremen in him does not like to be outside when the sun is up because uh, they can see you when the sun is up. So, hey, let's go. But Paul tells them to calm down. Even if they did see them, they wouldn't dare shoot at them because they think they were using shields. And there, there's no need for a nuclear explosion now. Paul looked over at the part of the shield wall where his father's troops had ran into. So during the attack on Arakeen, you had um, a lot of the Atreides troops ran into the shield wall, into some of these caves. And then they were like hit by artillery and closed them all in. You remember that? Yes. All right. So Paul felt it fitting that the bodies of these troops would now this particular moment, knowing they would be avenged. Muhadib and the Fremit had now conquered every village, fort, and town, and now only this basin and this city remained. Everything else is now Fremen territory. This is the last stand here. Yeah. And the best thing about this, the timing in all of this, is that there is a storm coming. Now, the city of Arakeen is put right here because of the shield wall to block from the storms so they can do go about their business without having to have the storm just hit them over and over and over and over again. So that's why the shield wall is strategic. And Paul's doing this right now because he's going to use the planet to his advantage. Mm. Paul looks down over the Harkonnen frigates, which now are all lined up with Chome Company banners waving gently in a sandy wind. Paul couldn't help but think how desperate the guild must be to even let these two groups land while everybody else was held in reserve in space. Like the emperor pulled his card and be like, I'm the emperor, send me down. And they were like, fine, all right. You better settle this though because we don't know what's going to happen. We can't tell where this Muhadib is. And he's, that's not good. Gurney piped up. He says, is there anything new to see from here? We should get undercover. The storm is coming. Paul looked again at the emperor's giant metal tent. Ah, he says. They've even brought their women and their lackeys and their servants. Ah, ha, 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 my dear emperor, how confident you are. Paul stole one more glance at the emperor's giant metal tent and the silent city of Arakeen. It's not a bustling city anymore. The whole city is like just shut down. No one's doing anything. No one's moving. There's no commerce happening, happening here. Right. Everything is just shut down. And there are frigates loaded with Harkonnen mercenaries everywhere. So Paul slides backwards down from the rock into the shallow depression in the shield's wall surface. It's like it's a little bowl. It's like 30 meters in diameter. So it's a natural feature, but it's hidden by this camouflage cover. So if somebody were to look at the wall, they wouldn't be able to see them. And there's a communications equipment cluster just to the right in a hole. 
two men emerged from the communications hole and spoke to the Fadaikin guards. So they, they talked to the guards. So Paul is now looking at Stilgar, nodding in the direction of the two men. Stilgar goes to get the message. Stilgar reported that the Sardaukar that was captured by Muhadib has now been let go. That one guy that captured the Sardaukar that came in with Gurney, yeah. they finally let them go. They probably like they probably brought them to where it was. Like they said near Old Gap, so they could like watch. So the emperor could literally watch him walk across the sand to him, so that they would see him and like send somebody out to go get him. Right. So they let him out low on the rim, and now and now he's going back to his master. Stilgar also reports that the rocket launchers are in place and the people are deployed just as Muhadib is ordered. Everything is ready. Paul glanced around the shallow bowl in the shield wall, studying everybody there. He felt as if time were inching along like an insect creeping on a rock. <clears throat> Gurney clears his th throat. Hand me a best get to a place of safety? Paul responded, there is no such place. Badass. Like, All right, Paul, way to be super meta. There is no safe place. I get it. But Gurney's like, come on. There's a, I don't want sand getting my mouth filter. Let's go. <laughs> Paul responded. He just asked, um, you know, is the weather report favorable? Right? I don't know why he didn't use his pressing instead. I think he just wants to double check, maybe. Silgar says, a great grandmother of a storm is coming. Can you not feel it, Muhadib? The air does feel chancy, but I'd like a certainty of pulling the weather. My note here and it says use your prescience bro like you know you're good just maybe he's got to like see all the lines of time and there's like too much to calculate why he needs help or maybe he's just trying not to be weird and he's already weird <laughs> he's come to the point where there's no going back in his weirdness Fair. the last chapter cemented paul is weird <laughs> he has the weirding way you true stilgar said the storm would be here in an hour right so they got an hour and the enemy knows it Every thopter is now tied down. Nothing's in the sky. Everything's kind of pulling things over. Even if the storm comes, they want to like make sure everything is secure and safe. And Stilgar says they, they probably got the report from the guild in space. And they probably know that the Fremen are here and that they're waiting to choose their own time. So the, the guild is now watching, telling, you know, telling everybody, like, by the way, radar says giant storm approaching. <laughs> We, you know, the Fremen are just waiting now. They'll probably, they'll probably do something after the storm. You know, that's what they're probably saying. But the Fremen aren't waiting for anything, Paul says. Fremen are going to choose when we attack. Gurney glances upwards towards space, growling, if they let us. Paul reassures Gurney that everything is how it should be. Bro, I see the future. It's cool. <laughs> but Gurney still, Gurney still growls back how desperate people are the most dangerous. Which, I mean, yeah, that was always the thing that Paul was taught, especially in the fighting thing. When someone gets desperate, that is when they are the weakest, right? They're going to do something irrational at this point, and the guild feels desperate. Right. But Stilgar pops up asking, are the Fremen not desperate? Hmm? Like, we've got 4,000 years of moving from planet to planet and oppression just sitting on us. And we've been stuck here on Arrakis, and the Harkonnens currently use us as sport. Are we not desperate? Is this not the moment? Did the Kismar Cataract, the Lizan Algaib, not come to us in this moment? This is our time, bro. And how all Stilgar is thinking of is all of the water bribes that he's used and how it's added years to the promise of an Arakeen paradise. Mm -hmm. 
like Muhadib said, yes, use these water bribes, get these things out. And of course, Stilgar is doing the math in his head, like, oh, that's going to put us back five generations till we get here. Yeah. Like, oh, come on. And he's, of course, Paul's like, I'm Muhadib. Trust me, I got this. I got your best interests in mind. Stilgar's like, yeah, I know. But still, this if you weren't the religious fanatic, I wouldn't know what to do here. Gurney just scowling, growling this whole time. He's always gloomy before a battle. It's the only form of good humor Gurney allows himself. A slow, wolfish grin spread across Gurney's face. It glooms me much to think of all those poor Harkonnen souls. We will dispatch unshriven. And that's where Stilgar laughs and says how Gurney's now starting to sound like a Fadaikin. They're getting worried about water and needing to take the water from the enemy. I like it. This is good. This is great. Paul tells Stilgar that Gurney was born a death commando. The frown slowly returned back to Gurney's face. And Paul needed to remind him of something that Gurney had once told him. Paul said, worry saps the strength. My duke, Gurney said. My chief worry is the atomics. If we use them to blast a hole in the shield wall, Gurney is worried about just the use of the atomics because it's so frowned upon. But Paul won't have it. The great convention, agreed upon by the emperor and all the houses and everything else, says that they don't use atomics on people. But mm-hmm. Paul, is being the duke he is, decides, no, there's a loophole. I'm not using it on people. I'm using it on a wall, an inanimate object that will, of course, bring in this great-grandmother storm, and that will kill people. But I'm not using the bomb on people. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. It's a perfect legal loophole, which, of course, he was like, the, the guild up in space, they're looking for any legal loophole right now, too. So this is normal. This is great. Paul asks if the city people are in position. So now there's another plan. So we're going to blow up the shield, shield wall, but then there's another plan. The second plan is after they blow the shield wall and the storm comes in and they attack, Paul is going to use the city folk as shock troops and unleash them on everyone who's holding the city of Arakeen captive. Stilgar doesn't know if he quite likes this because he's never learned to quite trust the city folk. They're not desert people. They're not quote unquote true Fremen. Paul replies how he was once a city man. He lived in that city down there. Right. And a test of a man isn't what you think he'll do. It's what he actually does. That's some good juice. A test of a man isn't what you think he'll do. It's what he actually does. That is indeed some good, good juice. How many times in push comes to shove when things really, when the rubber hits the road, who is actually standing next to you? Mm -hmm. Those are the people you want with you. Not the people that talk, talk, talk. I'm here with you. I'll always do that. I'll be there for you, bro. And then time of need, they're nowhere to be seen. Right. No. I'd rather you say nothing to me and show up on that day. Amen. Come on. All right. So I'm done with my preaching here. What happened in a city is that the Sardaukar had enraged the city people, right? They'd driven them from their homes. And accidentally, the emperor had played directly into Muhadib, the savior's hand, which is kind of like what the baron wanted to do with Fade, right? Drive, make all the people crazy so the savior can come in and swoop in. But that savior is not going to be... Harkonnen, it's going to be the religious fanatic Fremen in the desert. 
that's coming to save the people. So the Sardaukar even took out the city women for sport. They killed men for pleasure and built up this fever, hatred among the people. So Paul plans to use these city people as shock troops to take the city. So he doesn't have to. They'll take Arakeen. They know every Sardaukar they kill will be one less for us. And now they've discovered they're a people. They're awakening. (laughs) Which I think that's where Arrakis awakening comes from. Right. That makes sense. They're awakening. They look down on a commotion. It's happening on the basin floor. And the lone Sardaukar has now come home. And the emperor... Put the shield up around his whole metal tent. It's around everything now. Like, oh, they know something's something's about to happen. Gurney chuckles. <laughs> now they know who it is they fight. Let the Harkonnen beasts tremble and fret themselves that an Atreides yet lives. There's a Fadaikin currently on the telescope, and Paul says, Hey, watch. See what flag the Emperor puts on his ship. Now that he knows I'm alive, what's he gonna do? Right. Stilgar looks confused. Wait, what? Why do we care right now? But Stilgar wants to know, why do we even care? There's a plan in place. Let's just execute the plan. But Paul wants to give the emperor the benefit of the doubt. And if the emperor does recognize the fiefdom of the Atreides, hearing that the the duke, the now duke Paul is alive, he will raise up the Atreides flag. And when they attack, they will only attack Harkonnens to end the vendetta. But we'll see what the emperor does. The Fadaikin watcher yelled down to the three men in the basin. They're sending a new flag up on the ship. The flag is yellow with black and red in the center. Paul just smirks to himself. Hmm. The company the Chom Company flag, which means the emperor stands where the prophet is. He doesn't care if there's an Atreides ruling Arrakis or a Harkonnen ruling Arrakis or any other major and minor house that's currently sitting up waiting to come down. He doesn't care who rules as long as they can produce the spice. Bad move. Yeah, we just want to go for wealth the whole time and are currently always obsessing with how much money is always coming in versus how your people are being treated and you're constantly stuck in that greed cycle. You're looking to be taken down. That's just the fate of the universe. It just kind of tips in that favor. And Paul is playing directly into that. Paul knows what must be done. The lines of time are now set and the storm is coming. Stilgar says the the storm is coming very, 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 very soon, and it's a great, great grandmother of a storm, perhaps even more than you wish. And this is legendary right here. Paul says, it's my storm. Awe and wonder shake the Fadigan around Paul. This too would become part of the legend. This storm, the planet itself, is working with Paul. Though it shook the entire world, it would not be more than I wished. Paul said. A courier came running, saying how the Sardaukar and the Harkonnens are pulling back because they expect the storm to start spilling over the wall a little bit. And then Paul reveals the full plan to us, the audience. Fremen gunners will aim at their targets now, right? So everyone, everybody lying in place, pick your ships. Where do you want to go to? And when the storm does come and blows over the wall and you can't see anything, the storm is going to level the shields and the gunners are going to fire on those ships. Pop, 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 pop. Makes sense. Stilgar moves his way down now, down to his platoon he's going to lead, leaving the men with Paul and Gurney. Paul then tells Gurney that he'll be the man 
to pull the trigger. Gurney, this is what you've been waiting for. They killed your best friend, Duke Leto. You went on a rampage against the Harkonnens. In this time, I trust you to do this. Gurney nods. I'll do it. Paul could hear in the silence the wind devils playing overhead. The front of the storm sand starts drifting down into their bowl. With a big of wind, the camouflage covers ripped away. And Paul motions for everyone to take shelter because their sand is now pouring in. Right. And you can hear when the Farakin say, a great, great grandmother of a storm, Muhadib. The wind is now howling. Paul quickly fastens his face filter and his still suit hood. Static from the storm has caused all the communications to go down. Paul then slowly raises his hand as he's looking at Gurney. Paul looks back down at the watch, waiting. Now, Paul shouts, hand. Gurney hits faster. Nothing happens. Then they feel the ground beneath start to tremble, ripple and shake. There's a rumble sound that only added to the sound of the storm. Boom! The storm rushed in through the hole in the shield wall, and pop, 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 the Fremen gunners are firing. The storm! Someone shouted, we must get undercover, Muhadib! Paul, finally coming to his senses, feeling the sand needles hitting his exposed skin. This is the end. We are committed, he thought. And Evan, welcome to the finale of the book. We're here. We've made it. Wow. He's blown the shield wall and exposed the emperor to all of the elements that is Arrakis. And he's coming for him. (laughs) Paul swung swung his arms around the signal mound telling him to leave the equipment. The Fedaikin covered him and pulled him into the tunnel. The static was too much. No signal could get out. An explosion had caused a minor cave-in in the tunnel ahead, and they were kind of trapped there for a little bit. The Fremen are still trying to salvage the equipment, and this frustrates Paul. Paul's like, just stop. It stop. It does, doesn't matter. We're, we're in the end game now. Just go with it. Gurney came running up next to Paul, saying how the Harkonnens could retaliate now if they wished. Paul says, they, they won't, because they just learned they can't get off the planet anymore. All of their ships have been destroyed via the storm. The Fremen were getting another command post and communications base set up in the tunnel, right? They're trying to see what's going to happen. Paul says it doesn't matter and the plan would go on without him. Like, even if he died in this moment, the plan would still move forward, right? He saw that, like, back, I think back when he was with the, him and Jessica were at the Fremen, they go down to the pool and he, like, realizes that nothing is going to stop the plan now. Even if he died, the religious thing would take forth and the jihad would keep going. And now, nothing will stop. It's The plane will continue to go forward. The signalman cuts off Paul, saying, there's a, me- there's a message, but there's, there's much static. The man is furiously writing things down, waiting, writing, waiting. Paul stops, walks over to the man, and looks down at the scribbled note. It reads, Raid on Stech Tabar, Captives. Alia, sons of Muhadib. So, Evan, what did the note say? Seems like it said Alia has been captured and little Leto is deadzo. Oh, yeah. So, his sister is now captive and they killed his son. But we can only imagine the grief that's currently hitting him. The son of that he had with his desert flower. With Johnny, the only piece he has in the universe is now gone. Mm-hmm. Paul looked up just to see Gurney 
staring at him. Paul, what are you going to do? <laughs> Gurney tried to reassure his Duke. The, the, the message is, is, is garbled. The static. You, you, you don't know. Paul said, is dead. And when he said it, he knew it was true. My son is dead. And Aaliyah is a hostage. All feelings left Paul. He felt emptied. Everything he touched brought death and grief. From his father, from Duncan, to Kynes, to everything he touched. Even his mother is somehow <laughs> weirdly gone. Alia is just weird. Everything that he gets his hands on dies. And it fills yeah. him with grief. And he feels like the disease that is in him, this grief and death, is now going to spread across the entire universe. Deep down, he could feel the old man wisdom. Right, okay, not only can see lines in the future, but also has the past memories, like Reverend Mothers, way back in here, of different lifetimes talking to him. And he could feel the accumulation of terrible experience from now countless lives in the past. These felt feelings and memories of all tragedy but there was something something inside him deep that seemed to chuckle and rub its hands in delight now if that's not creepy i don't know what is that's that terrible purpose deep down that just says i am waiting for you to cause this problem no this grief this death, this is the plan. And Paul thinks, how little the universe knows about the nature of real cruelty. Bum, bum, bum. And thus ends chapter 46 with Paul really mad. Evan's now holding his hands in his face. And he doesn't know quite what to do. For those who are listening on the podcast and not watching live on YouTube, Evan's right, um, right. kind of, yeah. Uh-huh. Kind of red. Speechless? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Paul's uh, not being real. He's not being super chill right now. Yeah. Being really uh, uncool right now. You'll feel what real cruelty is now that you've done that. You've killed my father. You've now killed my only son. You've taken everything from me. And I, the Emperor, Chome, the Guild, Harkonnens, all these people, I will show you what real pain looks like. What what you did to me will be a fraction of what I do to you. And that's Paul Atreides, everybody. Paul Muhadib. Yeah. He's just like taking such a sharp turn to like from like really virtuous and righteous and awesome to like real messed up and kind of evil sounding, you know? Do you feel, do you regret reading the book now? Uh, now that our main character has like tipped slightly towards evil, I don't regret reading the book. I am uh, upset that things have gone this way. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Paul's about to show everybody the Bene Gesserit, right? They don't know he's coming. He's going to show them what their Kizbar cataract really was. This is what you wanted. I'm going to show you how all your pretty little talk really ends up in the guild. You want that full space monopoly and be dependent on the spice. I'm going to show you what gouging people really does because you have the only product and you need it. Um, 
It's the emperor himself. You want to have all this control and say this thing without taking care of actual people and manipulating in the background. I'm going to show you what it looks like to manipulate behind the, behind the scenes. That's Paul's plan, at least. That's where he's going. And he's going to blow up all of the spice. He's, going to, he's just going to kill everybody. Like Everybody's going to be stuck. You want to enter I the dark ages? Yeah. Here we go. It's just, uh, you know, you're, you think you know a guy. And then this happens, you know, I don't know. I, I, I've talked about it before. I like the uh, righteousness, the Atreides sincerity and all of that good stuff. The, 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 the desert power, like all of just the righteousness that Paul was embodying until like a chapter or two ago, he started like leaning the wrong way. And now he's just like bananas crazy, you know, like, it's like in uh, Game of Thrones when Daenerys just like suddenly loses it and becomes super murderous and evil. And you're like, why? No, no. Be I like good. you. Be good. Right. Like, dang it. That's how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, right. And Daenerys is a great example because sure, she freed the slaves, but to create a slave army, you know, it's like, right. yeah, there's this we do. Paul is doing these good things, but. Like the Harkonnens, right? He wants, he's doing, goes back to our motives. If we're doing good things in the right ways or the, or the wrong ways, and are we still doing what is just and righteous? And yeah, that Atreides sincerity that the Duke Leo is so embodied. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, okay, Anna from the live stream currently says the issue is how far does it take to break a man, right? Yeah. Like how, what he, Paul was taking, everything was taken from him. And he was given this ability by the Bene Gesserit, by his mother, to just walk into this thing. It was like an open door. Of course you take the open door. And you use it. And now here we are. And, yeah. Final thoughts before we close, Evan? This was a really short chapter, actually. I didn't... It was a short chapter, but a lot happened. I even said it in the Discord, like, after I finished reading. I said, wow, that was a lot. Because, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know how much... Uh, of a great final thought I have is just, just kind of sad. And I think you're feeling the right emotions. Yeah. We want the emperor to pay. We want, we want right. the do right. I want that. But, and Paul's going to go give it. He's going to take, he's going to give it to him. It's just like a, that, that little pain in me. That's like, ah, I think back to star Wars when, when Padme is to go into Anakin, like you're going down a path. I can't follow Paul. Yeah. Why are you doing this? You are so good. <laughs> Uh, what? Uh, okay. All right. Go for it. So, yeah, that, that ends chapter 46. Next chapter we're, picks up at the exact same time. So it happens the exact same time as this chapter. So okay. we, we will see what's going to happen. What happened in the Emperor's Hutment there? Ooh, cool. What, what, what was going on at that exact same time? So we will see you there. Again, please send us your... Um, favorite moments they're coming to an end if you have one in these next couple chapters send it in. uh on twitter reading to gmail.com and uh, join the discord because actually there's a lot of fun and we have like all the books on there so if you have a question that happens in chapter house or a question that happens in children there are people there to answer that and talk about it with you because i to be honest i have more questions than answers when it comes about dune uh, and i think that's the way frank wants it he wants you right. to talk about it he wants you to like give the themes because the, let's be honest. The first time I read this book, I missed this. I was so pro Paul. I missed what was happening. And 
yeah, there are there are people there to help you through it. Because that's what that's what's happening and to talk about it with. So I will see all of you there. And as always, stay spicy. Peace. <laughs>